Hello, and welcome back again to FortiGuard Live. I'm Derek Mankey, Chief of Security Insights with FortiNet's FortiGuard Labs. Joining me again is my, my colleague and good friend, Amar Lakani. How are you doing, Amar? I am wonderful, as always, Derek. Great. Always smiling. I, I like that, especially in these times. It's, it's, it's a good thing. Um, so let's get right into this. You know, uh, so we've just released our uh, threat report for the first half of uh, 2020. Uh, this is quite a bit of data, right? I mean, we, we've gone back uh, in time uh, for half a years of data um, that is all 40 guard threat intel. Just to put that in context, you know, we're processing, you know, we talk about these numbers before, you know, we, we're processing north of 100 billion potential threat events a day that are coming in um, uh, to, to our intel center. Um, that's just daily, right? So obviously we gotta, as you know, Amar, you're on the front lines here. We, we gotta sift through this um, and analyze that data, see what's relevant, uh, correlate, contextualize that information, and then summarize it, which is often one of the hard parts. Um, so that's all the work that's been done in, in the uh, first half of 2020. And I just wanted to walk through um, so we can chat about some of the key takeaways and highlights. Um, you know, first of all, my point of view, one of the biggest things that, that I'm seeing significant is that typically if we look at the attack surface, the threat landscape, we're looking um, and, and we see any big shifts or change, you know, uh, changes in that landscape. In my experience, we're, we're typically dealing with years, right? It could be a two or three year transition as technology changes, policies change, people change and so forth. But in this first half, given the pandemic has really struck in this first half of 2020, that's really been compressed into like six months, hasn't it? Yeah, I think 2020 will be always known as the year that everything changed, not not only from the world, right, but even from a cyber perspective. As you said, we're just, uh, you know, we're seeing, as our report says, a rise in browser-based attacks, a rise in like old vulnerabilities coming back, yeah. ransomware still not slowing down. Uh, 2020 is the year of change, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And and let's talk about some of those drivers. So again, you know, typically um, there's some things that act as a catalyst here. I think the pandemic's definitely acted as a catalyst because we're seeing simply more cyber criminals take, trying to take advantage of a rapidly changing technology landscape, right? So that's, that's a lot of these, you know, um, uh, pop-up networks, I would say, um, that, that these transition networks, uh, particularly in OT, uh, but also probably more significantly um, or equally as significant on home networks, right? The whole teleworkforce thing. And I, I know we've talked about this in the past, so we'll talk about it too much, but it's really been, um, it's really been impactful, right? Because a lot of these devices now are extending beyond the perimeter uh, into home networks. And it's been interesting because one of the things we highlighted in the report, and you just mentioned it, was browser-based attacks being preferred by cyber criminals. And if you think of browser-based attacks, where are those browsers hitting? A lot of the times on those devices that were inside, you know, corporate safeguards within the perimeter that have now gone outside, right? Right, I think what it is, is a lot of attackers probably in the past weren't trying that many browser-based attacks, at least not in the volume that we're seeing now. And that is because they knew most of these computers were behind corporate networks. They were behind corporate security perimeter defenses, which makes browser attacks a little more difficult traditionally than like phishing-based email attacks or something like that. Now that they know that, hey, most of these computers are behind a home router, you know, that you buy at a big box retail store, it's normally not configured. Even if it has the capability of like some sort of enterprise protection, it's normally not configured that way by a home user. And I think attackers are taking advantage of that for sure. 
And, and then on top of that, we're seeing some attacks that are local-based, right? Like local mana in the middle attacks, yeah. Wi-Fi networks, guest networks coming in into play. And I, I saw that was like an early 2000, 2000s attack, but it's coming back into play because there's more people that are concentrated outside corporate envir- environments now. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And, um, you know, you going back to the browser attacks too, I think that um, you said it's it's more difficult traditionally because a lot of the times too, if they do gain access through a browser attack onto those systems, I mean, once the the, the system's owned or compromised, they got to jump through a lot more hoops generally within a corporate network, right? I mean, they got to go through things that are probably segmented, different access rights and privileges and so forth. Again, when these devices are on these home networks, the lateral moves can be quite easy and and um, or easier, I should say. Um, and, and you mentioned consumer-grade routers. That was something else that we highlighted in the report, right? Some of the top um, exploit attempts uh, that we're seeing in the world of IoT uh, was exactly that on consumer-grade routers. So if they can't crack the browser, why not try to get into the router too, right? Exactly. And it's not only routers. It's like your home NAS devices, network uh, access storage devices, other types of devices like your home uh, media players, DVR players, whatever they may be. Uh, and I think we're seeing a rise in these like Kind of home devices that you see normally is because attackers know that you're at home right so when they're landing and expanding when they're looking for other vulnerable things on your network vulnerable devices they're looking for these types of devices that you traditionally find at your home yeah exactly so it seems that we're sort of just in the middle of this right because we we've had um you know we've talked about this for um six months now uh, that whole transition from for the first wave hitting to, let's say, phase two of the COVID world, but also phase two of the attacks, right? Social engineering lures following that. Um, so given the fact that we're just now, that, that we're starting to see significant activity still targeting these, uh, uh, you know, uh, these, these, these new devices that are sitting on these networks, I expect that's going to continue for a while. I don't think that this is over yet and we're not even close to being out of the woods when it comes to these types of attacks. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, in 2017, when we first saw Mirai, I really didn't think how it was going to last this long. I mean, we still are, not only are we seeing Mirai, we're seeing it pretty strong as, as a botnet still spreading out. And of course, that is a botnet that normally attacks IoT devices. Mm. And the reason I think we're seeing that is because there is so much more opportunity for attackers to try these old tricks, all, all these old attacks, because they're still working. People still haven't updated their IoT yeah. devices the way they should have. And uh, and that's why these attacks are so prevalent. Yeah, and that, that brings uh, to the next point too, is so another another highlight of, of, our, uh, of our report was that uh, we're on pace right now to break the record for the amount of vulnerabilities that have been discovered in a year. To me, that's not so surprising uh, because, you know, I've actually talked about this for a couple of years and there's a growing attack surface. Obviously, we talk about the world of IoT, OT, simply more targets, um, more security flaws, more discovery um, tools that are allowing attackers to discover that. But we're actually seeing it now. And it's significant because what we call out on the report is that, you know, we're seeing a, a big rise in these new flaws and vulns uh, that are being uh, reported that are not probably going to be patched anytime soon. But the most activity we see on attacks are still from 2018. So it's around, you know, two years ago because, you know, attackers are still enjoying success with this, right? I, I think to your point, 
because because um, a lot of those are still unpatched from two years, right? Right. It's it's actually kind of a dark story if you think about it, because most people are getting attacked from vulnerabilities and exploits that came out two years ago, 2018. Uh, we also highlighted that's that's the majority of attacks, but of course they're still getting attacked by attacks that came out in 2017, 2016. It mm -hmm. just shows you how hard it is to patch. And, and let me be clear, everyone knows when patches come out, you should patch. Every, everyone really knows that. But it's it's much more difficult to like to, you know to really patch your systems, your critical systems, especially now when everyone is remote, you have to like guarantee uptime. And then a lot of times, you know, when you're restoring from a snapshot or a backup mm -hmm. or something, a lot of times people forget to like update their all their patches that has happened since the last snapshot. So we have you know two issues sometimes occurring. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and um, the, the other part of that dark story is that um, that's really, it's sort of a window, right? That's going to keep on sliding and happening. And if you think about it, they're, they're using these exploits for two years because they're, they're working. Um, when they stop becoming as effective, guess what? They have all these, new, these record new ones that are being discovered uh, in, in their toolkit, just waiting to be used. So it's they, they've really essentially built a pipeline uh, on their own, right? When it comes to their attacks too. Exactly. Why, why break something that's already working? It's working well for the attackers. If it stops working, they have a whole bag of tricks that they can go, go to next. Huh? Yeah, exactly. And that bag keeps getting bigger from, from what, we're, what we're seeing. Um, so let, let's talk. Another uh, highlight was, uh, was the world of ransomware uh, in, in the report. So obviously we've been talking about ransomware for, a decade now, um, and while it continues to be um, a threat, we're, we're seeing uh, what we call in the report some interesting, um, so sophisticated piece of, of ransomware first, like uh, MBR, Master Boot Record, um, infecting ransomware, which is quite interesting. But the other thing is this rise of ransom as a service. And I think that this is really something to look out for because of course ransom as, as, as a service is the affiliate model so it's not just one threat actor distributing um you're attacking people with ransomware it's multitudes because it's these uh you know middlemen that are getting paid commission um to 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 do the dirty work and of course that comes with different attack techniques that they're using um and you know it got me thinking that that this has always been a problem in crime as a service but with ransom as a service i'm expecting that to grow and I think there's a direct impact with COVID. I mean, there's a lot of people who have been laid out, uh, sorry, laid off, um, looking for for work and jobs. And when they look at things like this, affiliate schemes, I think there's probably going to be more attackers coming to the table too. Right. I mean, ransomware as a service, it just means that if you want to become the bad guy, all you need is a list of contacts. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be your list of contacts. You can like pretty much browse the internet for leaks and email leaks and other leaks as well. If you have a good list, um, you know, you can start getting into that business. You can start getting into the business of being a criminal. And I think a lot of people have realized how easy it is that you can essentially give a list of contacts to someone. They're going to do all the heavy lifting, all the hard work, send the ransomware out, and you're pretty much going to get a commission out of that. You've pretty much bought your job as a as a sales guy or an account manager uh, for a cybercrime organization at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is a growing issue in the industry. And of course, it's one of the key reasons that we work with law enforcement, you know, such as Interpol with uh, Project Gateway as an example, because um, we're trying to always um, to, to find the source of that, right? You have to really hit the cyber criminals where it hurts, um, particularly on the money laundering side, on uh, cash transactions, where they're going. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, the, just to give everyone a glimpse, these are on the back end, on behind the scenes, the sort of work that we do at Forty Guard Labs to 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 fight that fight and try to make it more impactful uh, in the industry too. Exactly. You know, when we can take down one of these super nodes as a ransomware as a service, we can stop a lot of affiliates going to that super node and stopping down a lot of different types of ransomware attacks. So that's our goal is to try and you know basically cut off the head, right? And hopefully. Uh, yep. Three more won't grow after that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Nightmare scenarios. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the last point on that ransom is that, uh, you know, people often get the terms confused because there's ransomware, which of course is the, you know, the payload and the executable, but there's also just growing ransom techniques. So beyond ransomware, we're also starting to see um, extortion. Uh, so this is, you know, not just locking up data, but threatening to publish or sell intellectual property as an example, and also targeted ransom that take down a critical business, you know, uh, revenue streams as well. Essentially, it's like ransom for DOS, right? Um, so those are other key things that are cropping up that we got to watch out for. Right. Cyber criminals are going to find out what motivates you or your organization to pay and what is the quickest way to earn that buck. And so they're going to do whatever it takes, whether it's like humiliating you, uh, leaking your customer information or um, embarrassing in some other way. They're, they're going to figure that out and target that in that way of uh, trying to get the money. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the good news is um, we're here at FortiGuard Labs. Uh, we're doing a lot of that heavy lifting on the back end. Um, there, it's it's not all doom and gloom. Obviously, there's a lot of strategy to prevent this, particularly in the world of ransom. So you can uh, check out um, our, our blog, obviously, on blog.fortinet.com under threat research and uh, all the details, of course, in the, in the uh, threat landscape report as to um, what we just discussed and what to do about it. All right, thanks, Amar, for your time again. Really appreciate it, as, as always. Hey, thanks again. All right, this is Derek Mankey signing off for 40 Guard Live.